This is Women Behind Wool, a podcast introducing you to the female face of the Australian wool industry. I love today's episode. You'll meet three generations of women all involved with wool. And I think that we think this episode is such a good one because they are just such a great example of a family that live and breathe wool. They, they love sheep. They love working together and they love the beautiful fibre that comes from it. Yeah, absolutely. For this story, we visited Caroline Spittle's farm, which is near Bookham on the central tablelands of New South Wales. At age 87, Caroline runs her operation here and she's helped by her daughter, Rosie Mitchell, who um, apparently is just in charge of drenching because Caroline can't do that anymore. Such a go-getter at the age of 87. It's incredible that she's still calling all the shots. But the other good thing was that Rosie's daughter, Attie, who's actually an international catwalk model, was there too. She loves nothing more than getting home to the farm, pulling on the boots and doing her bit of jillarooing. And we were also just so lucky because it was shearing time. And so that's the time that the family prioritises coming together and uh, celebrating their yearly production in, in wool. So we got to have all three generations of spittle women at home and in one spot. I am Caroline Spittle and I live at Kingsley, Bookham. I've lived, born and bred on the land and lived on the land all my life and I've always been interested in sheep, cattle and horses. Well, I started off when I was very young with pet lambs and that's what really made me keen about sheep. So then I went to fat lambs and then on to merinos for the wool side of it. What did you love about wool? Why did that interest you? Well, to start with, I've always worn woolen garments and I think the fact was I wanted to know how and why and where wool was. And when we got into breeding merinos, it was the matter of trying to go ahead, not go up and down in one spot. We wanted to improve the quality and standard of the wool. I think it's so impressive that you're still so involved in the operation. So I'd love to know what a average day looks like for you. When do you wake? What kind of jobs do you do? And how are the sheep involved in that? An average day starts at about 7.30. It's very hard to plan your day because something extra always pops up. But what we try to do is keep an eye on the stock, sheep and cattle, water troughs, and then if there's anything left at the end of the day, a bit of time in the office, office work, which there is plenty of. And it's always at the end of the day and you kind of want to be doing other things. Well, the the office work can always be put off till the next day, whereas you can't put off looking after your animals. You've got to keep an eye on them. In the wool production cycle, what is your favourite time of year? Oh, a favourite time is either lambing or shearing. I love it when the lambs start to arrive and you hope then you've got your 12 months' work waiting for shearing and that's always an exciting time. You hope that your wool has improved since last year 
and you're also hoping the price has gone up because if the price of wool hasn't gone up, everything else has gone up. I enjoy uh, seeing the sheep in the yard and if you've got to draft them or if you've got to do anything to them in the yard and then after shearing, inoculating or drenching, all those things that have to happen to sheep to keep them fit and healthy. Do you like drenching? Yes, I like drenching. I like inoculate. I like doing anything with sheep and I really enjoy mustering. Why? Well, you get a good look at the sheep as you move along behind them and uh, it just is rewarding to see and you can pick out if there's something wrong with them and it's rewarding to see how they're improving. And how do you do that? Mustering on horseback here because it's definitely horse country. It's quite steep and rocky and not the easiest thing to ride a bike around, and I'm not very gutsy riding the bike, so I'm quite happy on the horse. Oh, that's amazing. You're still on the horse mustering the sheep. No, I gave up the horse a couple of years ago because my my favourite horse had problems and died, and I tried to get another one and nothing was as good, so I thought, time to give the horse away, I'll stick to the bike. Reluctantly. (laughs) Yes. I don't like the bike, and I now have a gaiter, which is good, but nothing's as good as the horse. At shearing time, what's your job? Keeping the show rolling the best I can, because there are always numerous jobs that have to be done that you haven't catered for earlier on. The press might break down. Quick, quick, you've got to get somebody out to fix it, because it's not an everyday practice. Uh, And it's pretty serious if you don't have the press working well. So who do you think has been the biggest influence on you, Caroline, in a farming sense? Well, I think I don't know that there's anybody been an influence because it's it's the only thing I've ever known and I've enjoyed it. I don't think anybody's ever influenced me, but at the moment we have a very good team and I'm very lucky I've got such a good team of helpers in every department of the farm life. What do you think about women in the wool industry? There's absolutely no reason why women can't do exactly the same as men except for a few jobs are too heavy and you've got to probably call somebody in to give you a helping hand then. So you have been running things here at Kinsley for how long? Oh, uh, ever since my late husband passed away, which is about 15 years. Before that, I was sort of right-hand man for him and helped as much as I could. And do you ever reflect on the fact now that this is a family of women running the show? (laughs) Uh, I often think about it and I think it's great that the younger generation are, are just as interested as I am. A good legacy, I think. I'd say definitely so. Hi Sky, I'm Rosie Mitchell. I'm Caroline Spittle's daughter and um, Kingsley is my childhood home and I've come recently 
back to live in the district and have the privilege of working alongside my mother to run it. Um, growing up here, gosh, it was, well, I'm an only child. I think I spent a lot of time talking to the fairies in the creek <laughs> and um, always just, or I can remember being plonked in the playpen in the shearing shed and um, out mustering with mum from a very early age. Actually, I can remember so vividly, oh God, like it was yesterday. It was winter. It was so cold. And you know when you put a little kid in a parker and all you see is their little face and the sleets hitting me in the face and mum had a cushion. She'd sit it on the pommel of the saddle and I would sit on the pommel of the saddle. And I think there must have been a ewe down and mum needed to help her pull the lamb. So she, we got off the horse and she plonked me on a rock, gave me the reins of the horse, sleet, 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 pulled the lamb off it popped with its mummy and then we got back on the horse and back on the pommel of the saddle and rode off to check the mob or do whatever else was happening on that particular occasion. But I remember that like it was yesterday. What an amazing memory so, to have. Oh, it was a cold memory. Yeah. <laughs> it gets cold here, doesn't it? It's shearing time now. Tell me a bit about that as a child and if you have any memories and what kind of stuff you had to do. Well, I think I was kind of at school a lot through shearing time and then when I was older and more useful, away at school through shearing time. So it's actually only really in more recent years, I suppose, I've been lucky enough to be here at shearing time. And as mum was saying before, it's the time of year that you really relish because, well, it's harvest all your year's work and looking after your stock and you, oh, whether they're too fat, too thin, too hungry, too need drenching, don't need drenching and moving paddocks or all the management of your stock all year really comes down to this moment in time where you're hopefully going to reap the rewards and have a beautiful clip and be happy with the wool and, and um, yeah, have a successful, successful shearing. What kind of an influence was your father on you? Oh, gosh, Daddy. Um, I suppose Mum and Dad have both been a similar influence because they both had the same sort of um, ideals and the same um, beliefs in their property and what they were achieving here and have both been such perfectionists in, in what they're trying to achieve. Even little things as a child, you know, you never went – climbed over a gate you always went through it or over a fence or when the, the sheep are coming in for shearing time if there was dust in the yards you, you always hose the yards down so that the fleece didn't get dusty um you know gates were made for swinging not dragging um and everything had to be neat and tidy if you took it from that place then you put it back to that place and that it was very important for them to both keep improving their flock because ultimately it's really hard to have the perfect fleece and the perfect merino and it's such a slow process of involvement. It just literally evolves year by year and as mum said earlier on, there's no point in going up and down in the one spot. The idea is to keep improving and mum and daddy both felt very strongly about moving forward and and doing that and I think also too mum just mentioned about the the you know feeding in a drought 
Mummy's a big believer in in feeding stock before they need it. So she'll be feeding stock way before, you know, anyone else starts so you can maintain the animal rather than letting them lose condition and slip behind the eight ball and then you'll never catch up again with feeding them. But if you start feeding before they need it, you'll kind of hopefully stay ahead of the game. The drought that we've just been through, were you lucky enough to be able to retain most of your stock? Yes. Well, we we got rid of um, everything that we would normally get rid of, but because we breed everything um, ourselves, we don't buy in stock. The only things we buy in are the rams. So if we'd had to have sold our flock, we'd be selling our bloodline. So we really, keeping on to them was really the only option. But um, mum's really smart. We stock light. And so if you, you know, if you understock and you stock light, you can, it's easier to look after your flock and, and your stock. Why is it so important to keep your bloodline? And couldn't you just go back out into the sale yards and buy another sheep? Wow. Well, I guess you could. I mean, hypothetically, you could. You could get rid of all your stock and start again, but then that would be your life's work and especially mum's life's work because um, mummy and daddy have been breeding the same line of stock now for a long time and trying to improve and then if you had to sell everything that you've been working towards and start it again, that would be really a low blow really because you would have to you would be starting 50 years of work all over again yeah and this point really demonstrates why wool producers are so invested in what they in what they do so invested and so passionate I think that's a driving force I mean I don't know anyone who's more passionate about what they do than mum I mean as she said I think when she sees a lamb the first lamb of the season it's like she's seeing the first lamb she's ever seen you know it's 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 yeah and I think you have to be passionate to do it because it's not always easy you know it's 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 I mean any any industry has its ups and downs but you know life on the land you know when you are looking after your no one else can look after your stock they can't look after themselves you have to you have to look after them because you know they're your livelihood and and they can't look after themselves so it's a relentless passion, really. So you were talking before um, about your work that you did in London. What was it that brought you back here to the farm? Um, well, it was time. We moved back from – I'm married to an English Irishman and we lived there for a long time and had the children there and it was time to move back to Australia when they were little. We didn't want to bring them up over there I mean it's just such a special place to bring up children in Australia and in the bush I mean it's like a gift from the gods bringing up kids in the bush and more recently it was time just to to move back here we were really lucky a little place came up near mum we just feel so lucky we were able to get it and come home and there's something really uh, holistic and special about being able to come home it's familiar it's comfortable the kids know it it's just um it's just everything about it just feels right yeah Yeah. so tell me what does an average day look like for you here well average day it's a bit like mummy said sky there's kind of really no such thing you know it changes 
it can change on a on the flip of a coin. You you sort of with the best intentions, you start out the day thinking you'll be mustering that mob and moving that mob and the next thing is a calf needs pulling or oh god you found a fence down or a whole paddock full of burrs which mum is spraying no end to no end at the moment um or you know quick stick something's broken and you've got to run into town to get a part it just literally it's never dull it's always varied and it's always interesting so planning is kind of and I'm such a planner it kind of kills me sometimes that you just can't stick to the plans. But, you know, that's just the way it is. Do you ever get tired of doing these jobs? Does it get boring? Boring never. It's, it's, too, it's, too, it's too varied to get boring. Um, I mean, look, some things you do can be monotonous. You know, there are some jobs that you don't really, you know, love. But um, when it comes to sheep, it's working with stock is really... It's actually really lovely. It's actually really rewarding and it's quite a therapeutic. Like as mum said, she loves drenching and inoculating. Well, kind of if you've got the sheep running, drenching all day is actually rather therapeutic in many respects. I don't know that many people would say that. I know. How good. And you're actually genuinely saying that. I kind of am. I need to get out more, don't I? (laughs) But yeah, I am. I love fencing. You don't? I do. Well, that's. Fencing. Yeah. Oh, no, no, that's such a bad one. <laughs> we are outside in the elements. It's it's like methodical. Yes. You can go yes. along, go along yeah. yep. and just be. Yeah. yeah. Similar sort of thing, I guess, really. Yeah. 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 What, do, what do you love about wool as a fibre? Well, I mean, it's, it's natural, it's organic and it's sustainable. What's not to love about those three things? I actually feel the cold terribly. So I am a big advocate for wool. I often have layers of wool underneath my swanky whatever in winter or <laughs> whatever it is, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm a cold fish. And I think we're so lucky because these days there are so many beautiful things, you know, dresses, jumpers, trousers, all made from wool. From workwear to something really beautiful and chic and glamorous, we're really lucky that all those options are available to us. I'm kind of hoping that now everyone's on the sustainability bandwagon, that they'll get a bit more hot and fluffy about wool and they'll realise that actually, you know, because I think it's really underrated and I think a lot of people, are, you know, they're scared to have it because they're scared of washing it. Like Mummy was saying before, it's not scary. Just whack it in the washing machine. It's actually... You know, it's it's easy care yeah. and I'm hoping that now that people are trying to be a bit more sustainable that they'll look into it more and they'll be happier to actually give it a go. And is it wonderful for you to be able to see just so many more options available in your retail shops? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a time when wool was really daggy and you only got like the daggiest sort of thing to wear in the most awful colour you know, colours, like, you know, all those really awful colours, which I won't name because there's people that will love those colours. Um, but, you know, the, the yeah, whereas now there's you can get everything really that you ever wanted in every colour and it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And you're so happy to be a part of that. Like does it, when you see the, um, what you're doing here, do you ever think about direct marketing or are you just happy doing what you're doing? I've always actually thought if I was brave enough, I would love to have my own um, line of knitwear. 
Yeah, but I I just um and I've have call I have you know considered it. I even drew some sketches once of you know what these beautiful jumpers would look like. But um, you know who knows maybe one day. But um, for the moment, I'm just happy um, doing what I'm doing and letting all those clever people out there make beautiful jumpers and things like that. So, you know, we'll see. I think it's um, – I always get excited, so does Mummy, when we see Atty doing something that involves wool on that side of the – on that of that side of the coin. So um, – but, you know, it's just, it's just great to be growing it. When you stand back and look at your – situation your family situation that you're working on your mother's farm and then also your daughter is involved whenever she can be what does that mean to you um well yeah look you know what um special sounds a bit cliche doesn't it but it it kind of is really special and look we have our moments sometimes it's like McLeod's daughters around here mum and I were doing something the other day and we had we so needed a bloke and we ended up, I mean, just as well no one was watching because we ended up in fits of giggles trying to, I was moving around bail and we just, anyway, I mean, honestly, it was hilarious and we had to do it because there were no blokes around to help us and we did it and you know what, there's improvisation is a huge thing around here in, in place of strength. But um, it is special. Yeah, it is. And I suppose we just do it, though, because we don't know any different either, you know. I mean, Daddy died 15 years ago, so, in you know, we've just gone about our business and never thought twice about it, really. But then when you do stand back and have a look at it, you're right, it is very special. And I'm sure you don't know of anyone else that's got quite this situation. No, I don't think so but then I've never really thought about it so um you know I, yeah I, I guess not yeah. no I guess not well Rosie um I called you a couple of weeks ago and asked if this would be okay and I'm so glad that you said yes and that your family's opened your doors to us so thank you oh Sky thank you so much it is um it's such an honor to be asked to or invited to do something like this and it's actually really um yeah, it's a special, again, using that word, um, thing to have happen for us. So thank you very much for asking us and it's a huge honour to be part of it all. Hi, I'm Attie Mitchell. Um, I grew up on the farm on and off around here all my life and um, I actually model full time but whenever I can come home I, I try to make it home to help out with the work. So when, with your childhood days that you were here, do you, tell me about some of your memories. That one's so hard. I have so many memories, like millions, but um, most of them invo- involve um, horses. Most of them invo- involve riding. Um, I can't remember the age we started, but I don't think we got motorbikes on the property until I was around 11. So it was heavily horse-based as a kid, um, which I absolutely loved. Mustering on horseback is my favourite thing. Um, and Why? Then- it's just so much fun. It's just so liberating. There's no, no other feeling. Like a horse is a bit more unreliable and fun and exciting and there's just no better feeling than being able to gallop across the paddock. <laughs> Motorbikes are fun, but it's just not the same effect. Um, but then I think a lot of my other memories involve Tink, who is what I call Caroline, um, and mum teaching me 
basically everything I know in the yards. Um, and Bob as well, who's Tink's right-hand man. Um, but yeah, I, I, everything I've learned, I've learned from them on the, on the property. And what are those things, the jobs in the yards? Oh, everything, drenching, inoculating, tagging, um, mustering, the whole shebang really. Yeah, everything. And I love it so much. Anything with livestock, I adore the fencing and stuff like that, which I know you said you love. <laughs> I can't stand it. I can't stand it. But anything involving livestock is my favourite thing. I just find that so exciting. You love drenching too? I do love drenching too. I'm more of an inoculator. Okay. Yeah, give you the needle and I'm good to go. Mum's <laughs> um, more of the drencher. I'm the, I'm the inoculator behind her. Dream team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With Tink calling out the orders from the shed. Yes, exactly. Sitting and watching by telling us what we have and haven't done. <laughs> So tell me about shearing time. You're obviously back here taking holidays, I presume. Why do you come home for shearing? This is actually my first year being back in, I can't even tell you how long. I've usually been overseas every time we've been doing it. But um, it's just such an amazing break from being in the city and being able to slow down for a minute, although it's not really slowing down. Slowing down and mentally, I guess, and then speeding up physically. Um it's just a different kind of lifestyle that I've always enjoyed, but coming home for shearing, I guess it means so much as well. Like we've been talking about, everyone can be together. Everyone's there to reap what you sow and everything pays off when it comes to shearing. You know, you really get to see it all come to life, which is pretty incredible. So can you tell me a little bit about your life as a model? How did that come about? Um, That is a funny story, actually. I think I was about 14. I was at the Robertson Show down in the Southern Highlands and I was walking around with a group of girlfriends and someone came up to me and she was wearing a Bluetooth in her ear and hunted gumboots and looked really official, I guess. And I was like, oh my God, I've done something wrong. She's coming up to me to get me in trouble for something of being a brat or being a kid about. And she came up to me and said, hey, have you ever thought about modelling? Here's my card and just hand it to me and walked away. And I kind of sort of stood there going, oh my God, this can't be real. Called mum and dad, I think they were kind of convinced it was a bit of a scam. They were like, no, 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 like this doesn't just happen. Um, and then I got scouted a few more times and then um, the agency I'm actually with now that I've been with since I first started, when I did work experience with them when I was about 15 and they offered me a contract then. But um, mum and said, no, no, not until you finish school. That's very important, which I am very grateful, grateful for, I agree. Yeah, and then the week I finished school, they kind of – sent me a message and said, hey, that contract's there if you want it. So I went, I don't know what I want to do yet, so why not? And I've been doing it ever since, five years later. I don't know anything about modelling. What do you do? What does your work involve? Um, I mean, the, the main big jobs are either photo shoots or runway shows. Every day is different. You do castings, which is it's kind of like an audition, I guess, um, when you go and take your, your portfolio in and they have a look at you and they – take your photo and you have a chat and get to know them and then you find out if you've got the job or not um there's fittings where they see if you look good in the clothes or if they find try to find out what outfit they want to put you in or what how they want to style you but um I mean every day is different sometimes you can go weeks without a job sometimes you're working every day in a week so it's pretty um unpredictable and is most of your work based in Australia it is at the moment um it has been for the last year and a half almost two years um but before then I was living in London and then New York yeah so I'm very excited to get over there again eventually when all this COVID stuff's over amazing can you tell me a bit more about that was that with one particular company 
Um, so that was Louis Vuitton. They were my um, my biggest client at the time. So I became the face of the brand, which was my first big break, which was amazing. It was the most life-changing experience I've ever had, which was actually also really exciting in Australia because it grew a lot of traction for the um, where I came from and my upbringing. So we did a few articles for Woolmark and stuff like that about, you know, farm to fashion, all those kinds of things, which was really, really cool. And that's, I guess, where the story started about Tink and mum and all those kind of things, growing up on the farm with them and working alongside them. You couldn't get it much better than that, could you? That's amazing. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, yeah, I think that was the thing. Everyone kind of went, wow, you went straight to the top. Where do you go from here? And I said the same thing. I was like, I don't know what to do now. I feel like I've peaked. <laughs> um, but no, it was amazing. It was life-changing. And then, yeah, it, it changed my whole career, really. Yeah. Tell, tell me what it's like walking down um, a catwalk. So you do get taught how to walk down a runway. They do... Um, they do little lessons at the agency. I think I was about 17 the first time I learned and I remember so vividly being on the front veranda of the agency. They were in a terrace house in Potts Point in a bikini with my agent blasting Madonna at the top of the speakers and Kylie Minogue yelling at me, faster, 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 as I walked up and down. People were literally stopping on the street to look at me and stare, which I thought was the most embarrassing thing in the world. But... Yeah, exactly. He was like, well, look, if you don't get used to it now, then you never will. But the adrenaline you feel walking down that runway is just unbelievable. I actually forget to hold my breath. I I hold my breath. I forget to breathe. But it's incredible. There's nothing else like it. You just get such a rush. And it's also the fun part is you meet all these other girls. You know, the shows have 30 to 60 girls, sometimes more, and guys too. And the friends you make and the the people you meet, that's really exciting as well. So during... um fashion week I suppose that's your busiest time how many how many times would you have to walk down the catwalk oh it depends on the on the city and the the season but sometimes up to four or five in a day would probably have been my biggest day ever um which can be exhausting it's pretty draining um there are usually a few tears by the end of the fashion month overseas because you're just so tired and you just want to go home and sleep in your own bed instead of a hotel room and be around your friends and family again but it is so exciting and there's really nothing like it yeah I suppose it's like a marathon that you have to kind of get through and really look after yourself but also I'm guessing that it's quite a time of celebration as well it is the the happy medium between celebrating and looking after yourself can be very difficult because obviously all the show the brands have fashion parties after and stuff like that so it's Kind of telling yourself to draw the line at midnight and go, okay, I need to get up at 5am for my next show tomorrow morning. But yeah, it, it's definitely a fine line between celebrating and, and enjoying yourself and looking after yourself. Who are the most impressive people that you met during that time? That's a hard one. There are so many. Um, I think for me, it, it, it's mainly the designers and the, the hair and makeup artists and the photographers. I mean, you some of them have been amazing. Um, Pat McGrath, who's a really, really prominent makeup artist who is just incredible um obviously working with Nicolas Gasquet at um, Louis Vuitton who's the women's designer was such a privilege and I became really close with him we had a very close close relationship you know he would style and fit the clothes on me and stuff like that so um that was pretty incredible um but so so many talented amazing people I mean I don't even really know where to begin to be honest and having such a kind of 
well, you're, you're like talking with them if they're fitting you and stuff. So that's quite sort of intimate. So they would get an insight into your life at home, right? Did they take an interest in farming and wool? Um, definitely. I'm not sure so much about the farming, but they were definitely intrigued about the wool part. Um, I mean, I kind of did become, I guess, the token Aussie farm girl. That was That happened very quickly. Yeah, exactly. It was great. I mean, I think they just love Aussies in general. Anywhere you go, people love Australians. But the, the country farm girl really drove it in. Everyone was quite fascinated by that. Okay, so that brings me to wool on the catwalk and in fashion. How much is there and what's it, how's it perceived at the moment? There's actually a lot more than you would think. Um, obviously, especially in autumn, winter, that's the biggest one. You know, everyone wants to have their rugged up woolly warm clothes but um it's pretty prevalent I think um I did a job for Country Road last year the year before where we actually went to Tasmania to Ross in the middle of basically the heart of Tasmania and we went back and they've been doing this program where you can trace the wool where your jumper was made from and kind of trace back to the station it was from or the property it was from which was pretty incredible so I got to be the face of that which was really cool it's, it's really, really common. I mean, now the hype is sustainability. That's all everyone wants. They're really, really into it. So, I mean, wool is obviously one of the most sustainable fabrics and materials out there. And durability, you want something that's going to be organic, something that's going to last a long time. Yeah, everyone's getting really, really into it. Yeah. And what about you yourself? Do you wear much wool? Most of my wool is actually probably from mum's hand-me-down big jumpers, like the big comfy ones. Um, I wear a lot of wool when I'm here at home on the farm a few woolen blazers um a few wool like suit pants and stuff like that but most of my wool things are pretty basic and you know it's like one or two big items that I spend a bit of money on um but I do love wool I think I need to get more into it actually especially as it gets colder (laughs) well that's the thing too with wool that you do there's quite an outlay but it's definitely a forever piece oh absolutely and I'm I mean mum's always taught me that you buy something that will last forever you know it's about the quality not the quantity so it is one of those things if I'm going to buy something wool I want it to be something beautiful that I get a lot of wear out of. And so you said that you're looking forward to getting back into lots of travel and things like that so how, how much yeah what what are you looking forward to in with your fashion career and how long do you think that will go on for? Oh going on for that's a hard question I'm really not sure I'd like to be able to do it for the rest of my life to be honest you know just have a normal job and do other things as well but always have modeling there on the side because it is something I really enjoy Um, but getting back overseas I think I would love to get back into the high fashion side of things again do the fashion weeks um, and sort of move back overseas again to be honest go back to London and start a home there again yeah see where it takes me Despite all this, you still come home though for shearing. Is that because you're made to or because you want to? (laughs) That is absolutely because I want to. I think maybe when I was, I don't know, I guess like 15 or something, it would have been a made to because obviously you want to be with your friends having parties and having fun. But this is, I I think as soon as mum said we're doing shearing, I was like, oh, I'm coming home. I'm coming home straight away. Yeah. And uh, this is the question that I've asked to everybody, but when you stand back and have a think about your family and uh, your Tink and and your mum being on the farm together and you helping out and the three generations of women, what does that mean to you? Oh, I think it's amazing. I mean, it's no secret. I think I've written a lot about Tink in um, interviews that I've done and saying that she's someone that I really look up to and aspire to be, but um, 
mum as well. I think especially more recently when she's come more into the into the um, farm and helping out more and seeing the way she's handled it and the way that mum and Tink work together, it's something I really, really looked up, look up to and to work alongside them is, I mean, I look forward to it. It's something that brings me home, something that makes me want to come home. It's been so fascinating to meet you. Thanks for telling us a little bit about your life, Addie. Thank you for having me. It was so special. I'm really, really happy to be here. Thank you for listening to the Women Behind Wool podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please help us to spread the love for wool. You can share this episode on your Instagram stories. And if you subscribe to iTunes, a fresh episode will be waiting for you each Monday morning. Our website is womenbehindwool.com.au.